0: Hello, all, and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, A Marine at 16, MIA at 17. And I'm your host, Rick Stone. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at ChiefRickStone.com. And now, on with our show. Today we're going to explore file number 0414 from the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation's investigative cases of missing American service members. It is the case of Private Edward William Jordan from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. For over 70 years, Private Jordan was reported as an MIA from the Battle of Tarawa in November 1943. Well, I won't spoil the ending for you, but let's just say that our story will have a happy ending. While I was assigned to the Department of Defense at the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command, or JPAC, I learned that the millions of dollars we spent wandering all over the world looking for the over 73,000 missing American servicemen and women from World War II, was actually dwarfed in results by those that were found completely by accident. Usually by some farmer plowing up a field in France, or a native on some remote Pacific island foraging for food in the hills and mountains, and even by routine construction crews building everything from water lines to shopping malls all over the world. Today's story will be about the building of a carport. Yep, that's right. A simple place to park a car on an island that has very few automobiles. It was an incredible coincidence, but many times sheer luck is needed to solve a mystery. As you know, all of our investigations always start with the biometric building blocks of comparative analysis when we use our risk system, R-I-S-C. Random instant statistical correlations. Private Edwin William Jordan was 68 and a half inches tall. That's five foot eight and a half inches. He had brown hair, and he weighed 125 pounds. He was born October 13, 1926. His shoe size was seven and a half double E, and he was from Pennsylvania. Private Jordan listed his religious preference as Protestant in his records. The letter P for Protestant may have been imprinted on his USMC dog tag. His dog tags were issued to him on 8 December 1942, and his USMC ID card was issued on the same day. Private Jordan was unmarried, and one of his official USMC photographs contains a chart in the photograph that confirms his listed height. Of five foot eight and a half inches. He had 20-20 vision and his cap size was six and seven-eighths. Private Jordan's last recorded dental examination was on 10 January 1943 shortly after his enlistment when he recorded four cavities, one extraction, and no wisdom teeth visible. Private Jordan's medical records indicate that he had no tattoos or birthmarks but he had sustained a fractured right humerus in 1936 and he exhibited a three-inch scar on his right buttock. Edwin stated he was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. At the time of the 1940 census, Edwin was living with his parents, Arthur C. and Margaret Jordan, one older brother and one younger sister in Pittsburgh. Edwin's father listed his occupation on census records as a mechanic on the railroad. If you live in the Pittsburgh area, you can go by and see the home that Edwin lived at 3794 East Street. It's still there. It was built in 1920, but please don't disturb the current owners. I doubt that they have any idea that a lost American hero once lived there. Edwin was not a good student, and he only completed the fifth grade by 1940. He was exceptionally poor at mathematics and spelling. Edwin once told his aunt that his aim in life was to be a magician and to someday, maybe, own his own band. While not a scholar, he was noted to be clever, honest, and not afraid of hard work. Edwin's mother had an operation on 8 July 1941 and sadly died the next day due to complications from the operation. She was 34 years old and Edwin was 14 at the time of her death. After the devastating death of Edwin's mother, Edwin took over the household and was tasked with doing all the cooking, the cleaning, the laundry, and help raising his younger sister. Apparently, relations between Edwin and his father were strained. Edwin requested that he be allowed to work on a farm during the summer of 1942, for he earned a whopping 50 cents a day. When he returned home, conditions between Edwin and his father soon became intolerable. In World War II, the minimum age of enlistment was 18, or you could enlist at 17 with parental consent. On 15 October 1942, Edwin's father went before a notary public in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, raised his right hand, and signed and swore to a parental consent form for a minor to enlist in the Marine Corps. He falsely swore on the consent form that Edwin was 18 years of age. In truth, Edwin had just turned 16 two days before. On 2 November 1942, Edwin took his father's signed consent form and went to the Marine Corps recruiter in Pittsburgh. He also falsely swore that he was 18 years old. Edwin was accepted for enlistment in the United States Marine Corps Reserves and was assigned the rank of Private. He listed his residence in Pittsburgh, and he listed his civilian occupation as student. Private Jordan listed his father, Mr. Arthur C. Jordan of Pittsburgh, as his next kin, and the term of his enlistment was for the, quote, duration of the national emergency. Private Jordan completed all the necessary paperwork to receive U.S. government life insurance. He began his Marine Corps basic training with the 11th Recruit Battalion at Paris Island, South Carolina. And he received additional instruction with the 16th and 17th separate Recruit Battalions in Camp Lejeune in New River, North Carolina during December, 1942. Upon graduation from basic training on 3 January, 1943, Private Jordan was assigned to Bravo Company, 5th Replacement Battalion, and he was immediately transported by train to San Diego, California. Only a few days after arriving in San Diego, Private Jordan and his company embarked aboard the SS Matsonia in San Diego Harbor on 16 January, 1943. The Matsonia quickly raised its anchor and set sail for Pago Pago in American Samoa. The Matsonia arrived in Pago Pago Harbor on 25 January 1943, and Private Jordan and his company disembarked two days later. When Private Jordan's aunt learned in February 1943 that he had been shipped overseas for combat duty, she began a letter-writing campaign that included correspondence with just about everybody in the United States government. She wrote to the Marine Corps headquarters, the Marine Corps Commandant, her United States Senator, Joseph Guffey, Private Jordan's company commander, and even his battalion chaplain. In all of her letters, Private Jordan's aunt pleaded that Private Jordan had enlisted fraudulently and was too young to be accepted into the Marine Corps. She even provided the Marine Corps with a copy of Private Jordan's birth certificate, which listed his age as 16 and not 18 at the time of his enlistment. While Private Jordan's aunt was writing letters, Private Jordan and his unit was shipped from American Samoa to Wellington, New Zealand, where he was transferred to Fox Company, 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines. Private Jordan's new unit was stationed in New Zealand for a period of rest, refit, and training in preparation for the invasion of Tarawa. On 30 June 1943, Private Jordan received his semi-annual professional and conduct record, which is basically his efficiency report. His commanding officer, on a 0-5 to scale, noted that Private Jordan was a 4 for military efficiency, a 4 for neatness and military bearing, and he gave him a 4 for intelligence. And for obedience and sobriety, Private Jordan earned the top-ranked level of a 5. Senator Guthrie's letter to the Marine Corps Commandant on 19 August 1943 included an excerpt from a letter that Private Jordan's aunt had written to the Senator.
1: On May 5th, I sent a letter off to the commanding officer of 8th Marines, Company F, 2nd Battalion, revealing the boy's age and asked that they consider his age and keep him from combat duty. I also wrote his chaplain, from whom I heard from the other day, advising me that he'd talk to the lad about the possibility of a rear position on account of his age, but that the boy said he would stay where he is. Why ask this boy when he's under age? Does he not know he took an oath to protect and fight for his country? Does he not know he's upright and honorable? How could anyone say, let me go home? In writing me, Edwin said I told them I'd stay. But, oh, if they had said you're going home, well, I would not have said no. Hence my appeal to you, sir, in the name of justice, since my efforts of the past five months have failed.
0: In the same letter, Senator Guffey wrote, I understand it is against the policy of the United States Marine Corps to retain a boy in the service who is underage. Will you kindly, therefore, issue the necessary instructions to his commanding officer in order that steps may be taken to release him from the service? Thanking you for your consideration and cooperation, I am, sincerely yours, Joseph Guffey, United States Senator. There is no record in any of the files that we've looked through that a decision was made by the Marine Corps to release Private Jordan. If that decision was made, it came too late to save him. The 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, was designated to land on Red Beach 3 during the invasion of Tarawa. Private Jordan's battalion was transported from their training bases in New Zealand to Tarawa on board the USS Haywood. Private Jordan's unit landed on Red Beach 3 shortly after 9 o'clock in the morning on the first day of the invasion, 20 November 1943. They met, initially, surprisingly light resistance, and almost all of the assault Marines survived to secure a foothold behind the coconut log seawall. After a brief period of reorganization, Private Jordan's unit was directed to attack southeast over the seawall toward a large fortified Japanese bunker just inland from the beach. Resistance from the Japanese defenders became fierce, and all six of Fox Company's officers were either killed or wounded. One of the less seriously wounded among the officers was the company commander, Captain Martin F. Barrett. By early afternoon on the first day, the extent of Fox Company's advance to the east extended just short of a structure known as the burns phillip Wharf, and the fortified Japanese bunker that was their initial objective proved to be unconquerable for the next two days. Private Jordan was listed on the United States Marine Corps Casualty Card as Killed in Action on 20 November 1943. This document lists his cause of death as Gunshot Wound Chest, and it lists a burial location of Division Cemetery. Unfortunately, there were many designated Division Cemeteries on Tarawa, and which one was the final resting place of Private Jordan was unrecorded. Private Jordan's also listed as killed in action on 20 November 1943 in the Chaplains logbook which notes no wound inf- information or burial location. The Graves Registration Unit report of January 1944 and the Island Commander's report of June 1944 by Captain ECB Gould both list Private Jordan's burial location as unknown rather than listing him as missing as was done with many other Tarawa casualties. Private Jordan's individual deceased personnel file, his IDPF, states Private First Class Edwin W. Jordan died at Basio Island, Tarawa Atoll as a result of gunshot wounds received while participating in action against enemy forces. Remains buried in Division Cemetery. Foundation researchers discovered the following notation in Private Jordan's service record. In his official military personnel file in St. Louis. Killed in action, Tarawa, Gilbert Islands, grave unknown. But after the battle, the body of Private Edwin William Jordan could not be found, and he was listed as missing in action. Incredibly, Private Jordan was one of 23 American service members killed during the Battle of Tarawa who were 17 years of age or younger. In fact, three casualties were only 16. When Private Jordan died, he was 17 years, one month, and one week old. In normal times, Eddie should have been in school and not carrying an M1 Garand rifle across the sands of Tarawa, over 7,000 miles from his home on East Street in Pittsburgh. But, World War II was certainly not normal times. In 1950, Private Jordan's father petitioned the state of Pennsylvania for the service benefits awarded to the families of World War II casualties who had been killed in action. Private Jordan's father received the full benefit provided by the state of Pennsylvania in the amount of $500. During the period of June 2011 through July 2012, My investigative reports submitted to JPAC using only the information that was available to JPAC researchers did not list Private Jordan as a most likely match to any of the unknowns buried in the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific, the Punchbowl Cemetery in Honolulu. Later investigations by Foundation researchers continued to refine these investigative reports based on new information. And historical documents that were not available in government files at the time my original JPAC reports were written, as well as the use of new computerized investigative techniques and tools such as the cranial facial recognition program. Private Edwin William Jordan simply was not considered a most likely match to any unknowns previously buried in the punch bowl. In May 2017, A local resident on Tarawa, while building a carport, found the dog tags of Private First Class Donald R. Tolson. PFC Tolson was another MIA from Private Jordan's company. A paid contractor was hired by the Defense POW Accounting Agency to dig around where Private First Class Tolson's dog tags were found by the carport builder. The contractor recovered 24 graves from that location on 26 June 2017. Grave number eight held the skeletal remains of an individual who was later identified as Private Edwin William Jordan on 17 October 2017. In addition to most of his uniform related battle gear, including his pack, shovel, shoes, Mess kit, bayonet, gas mask, poncho, helmet. In addition to all these things, Eddie carried 30 cents to his grave, one quarter and one nickel, minted in 1942. In addition, he had one New Zealand halfpenny coin. No dog tags or any other identification media was found with Private Jordan. Inexplicably, DNA comparison was not utilized by the Defense POW Accounting Agency laboratory. The DNA comparison to confirm Private Jordan's identity was simply ignored. Sometimes there are mysteries within mysteries that are never resolved. To date, only nine out of the possible 24 Karawa MIAs recovered near Private Jordan have been identified. The other 15 are stored in cardboard boxes at the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency's laboratory, awaiting competent forensic analysis. In the case of Private Jordan, he was returned home to his family after his official identification, and he was buried in Section 60, Grave 11633, at Arlington National Cemetery on 9 April 2018. Private Jordan is buried next to another American hero from another war, Sergeant Matt Sandry, who was killed in action on 20 March 2004 in Fallujah, Iraq. Matt's final resting place is Grave 11 6 Section 60, right next to Private Jordan. These two heroes never met. They died over 60 years apart. One was an army sergeant and the other a marine private. Yet, despite the differences in their service records, they are eternally bonded side by side at Arlington National Cemetery forever. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production and we invite you to check out our other episodes. You can now subscribe to listen free to our podcast on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Don't forget to tune in every Saturday when we will post a new episode of History's Military Mysteries, Missing in Action. Episodes of No Home for Heroes are produced from the actual investigative case files of the Chief Brickstone and Family Charitable Foundation, dedicated to providing information to the families of missing American servicemen and Missing American Service Room. As always, we greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. You sure don't want to miss our next episode. Our next episode is going to be titled Shaking the Tree, Searching for Seaman Elm. It will tell the story of a young sailor killed on board the battleship USS Arizona but who does not rest with his entombed shipmates inside the wreckage of the Arizona at the bottom of Pearl Harbor. The clue to his location was right in front of our faces for over 70 years, but no one could find him. No one could find the tree because we were all looking at the forest. Sounds like a perfect example of history's military mysteries missing in action. Until next time, be careful. Be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas. I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them.